Welcome to the AdWoke Podcast. My name is Brett Craig, and here's my story. I'm a former chief creative officer that worked at two of the biggest ad agencies on the West Coast for some of the most famous brands in the world. About two years ago, I was canceled for a five-year-old casting email that someone posted on Instagram. I used some imperfect language. It was taken out of context, and it all happened in the middle of the racial tensions of 2020. The social media mobbing that ensued in the comment section below my email posted on Instagram caused me to lose my job and to be called some rather ugly names that I never thought I'd be called. Suddenly, I went from the top of my career to no career at all. Canceled. Even friends that supported me privately wouldn't come near me publicly. I'm a Christian, and I do believe that God is working all things together for my good, but it was quite honestly one of the most devastating experiences of my life. But it was also strangely liberating. I woke up to a new world, full of uncertainty, but also full of opportunity. The opportunity to do something in short supply in the corporate world today. Tell the truth. I no longer had to be conflicted promoting ideas I don't agree with. And in these times of deceit, I counted a privilege to be able to speak honestly. That's what the AdWoke podcast is all about. I'm going to give it to you straight. We're going to occasionally laugh, and I'm going to say the things you're not allowed to say. Not because I just want to be provocative, although the truth is often provocative, but because I believe the truth will set you free. So today, I want to talk about how DEI gets in your building and how DEI consultancies entice institutions into a conversation, quote-unquote, about race with very contrived and preconceived outcomes already predetermined in the mind of the DEI consultant. They have a plan, and they're going to institute it. It is not a conversation about race or gender. And I'm going to use my experience with how I was first exposed to this relatively new religion known as DEI that we have mass-adopted by force in America, and how DEI's really true purpose is to install a very specific lens on America by centering race and gender oppression in your corporation or school. Now, by the way, real quickly, if you like the AdWoke podcast, please rate it anonymously on Apple Podcasts. Uh, podcasts. I say anonymously if that's what you need to do, but I'd appreciate it uh, if you just take two seconds and do that on your Apple phone, uh, your iPhone or your Droid or whatever, or subscribe. That would mean a lot to me, too. I promise I won't tell anybody, but it would mean a lot to me. Uh, And you would help me continue to do what I'm doing on AdWoke. Now, people might ask and might wonder, Brett, why are you obsessively focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, otherwise known as DEI? Why? It's already installed everywhere. You know, why would you try to take down this giant? And the answer is because DEI is the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. Uh, This ideology is just treated as fait accompli, uh, but it must be challenged. It must be rooted out because it is the mind virus, the tip of the neo-Marxist spear, and it will destroy any institution it enters. And as a former C-suite executive who saw firsthand what it did to formerly sane Fortune 500 companies and ad agencies, I know about that which I speak. I've seen what it does. I got a taste of it up front. I saw it. I mean, I see a lot of these pundits and particularly conservative media and stuff talking about DEI, but very few people have experienced it like me and are willing to talk about it. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think that's how you pronounce his name, from Strive Funds, also speaks about it quite a bit on Fox and various places, and he's pretty outspoken against DEI, but more people need to speak out against it because DEI is getting a pass because it sounds lovey-dovey, feely-feely. Because who could be against diversity, equity, and inclusion? But actually, it's just a new form of institutionalized 
racism being entrenched at a startling pace through every last institution in America. And it is my belief that it will destroy America. I know that sounds over the top, but I really believe this because essentially it's a Trojan horse for instituting socialism and top-down authoritarian control wherein the spoils, hiring, promotions, et cetera, et cetera, resources are allocated to people based on capricious standards that have nothing to do with merit and hard work and excellence, i.e. the values that built America, which means we'll cease to be America and become some zombie version of this once great republic if we continue to imbibe this toxic doctrine called DEI. Now I know, I'm just a tiny David fighting a Goliath, but we're all born to do something and some things we'd rather not do. And the bee in my bonnet, placed there by God, I believe this, is to take on this cunning ideology that is known as DEI. I want to expose it whenever, however possible. And if I lose, so be it. Like Jeremiah, the prophet in the Bible, it's an interesting character. God told him to go talk to the people. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah, he tells him this, they're not going to listen to you. But Jeremiah was told to bring the message. Anyway, such is our lot in life. Perhaps that's my lot in life. Uh, Sometimes I do feel like I am screaming into a void, but God is the potter. The clay will not tell the potter how he will use us, correct? Uh, I think the answer is correct. So today I want to tell my story about my DEI experience in detail uh, and the course I took with a consultancy led by a certain semi-well-known DEI Jedi who seems to have a massive footprint in the DEI space in corporate America, but also seems to be bringing his company, which shall remain nameless, to all kinds of places. You can probably figure it out, but I'm not going to call it out specifically at the moment. Uh, he's bringing this practice, his pretty big company, uh, to schools, corporations around the world. He says it's global, his, this one that I experienced and has quite a large staff uh, because DEI is a lucrative business, shall we say. You get paid to spread this racist bile and discrimination. It's good work if you can get it, as they say. Now, I'm focusing on my personal experience because I can speak to what actually happened to me. I spent an entire day with this prominent DEI guru, the man himself at the helm of a big-time DEI organization, which, again, shall remain nameless. And this is relevant to you, I believe, because these DEI consultancies all have a similar approach in kind of coursework, identical terminology, identical exercises, like privilege walks and things like that. And of course, one of the things that all DEI consultancies and gurus do is entice an institution to get this thing kicked off into a conversation about race, promising a very open and meaningful conversation, if not a healing conversation, that will take courage. It will open minds, we're told. It will take vulnerability. And the part that they don't tell you, it will take its pound of flesh from, yes, white people, particularly white males. The beatings will continue until morale improves, as they say. Because the thing to understand about DEI and its worldview is that it's informed by critical theory. And critical theory, be it critical race theory, critical gender theory, critical legal theory, critical social justice theory, critical whiteness theory, yes, that's a thing too. It's all a neo-Marxist analysis of American society that sees everything through a lens of oppression. This is the foundational view, the view that informs your DEI program. 
I don't care what the name of it is. I don't care how it comes in, anti-racism, whatever they call it. It's all the same foundational worldview. And 90% of the people probably don't even know where these DEI ideas come from. But I've had time on my hands since I was canceled in advertising, and I've learned where it all comes from. But people don't even know where it all comes from. They're just convinced, like most people, uh, that all these ideas, like white privilege, uh, are true, and they're just well-intentioned carriers of the DEI virus infecting the world with ever more neo-Marxist derangement. And we need to understand this fact. DEI consultancies, heads of diversity, all come steeped in the same worldview. Let's just say none of them are voting Republican, for instance. Not that I'm a big fan of Republicans, by the way. I'm just saying they're not conservative. They're not uh, pro-American. Let's just say socialism would be their preferred style of government. Just a clue of where I'm going with this. Uh, But DEI is based on a neo-Marxist frame or lens that America's system is inherently oppressive and that we need to be liberated from it. Now think about it. In order to have oppression, you must have an oppressor. And white males, sorry to break this to you, you play the role of oppressor in every DEI scenario that will be presented to you because DEI folks believe the world was created by white males in order to preserve their power so white people all coordinated over many generations met in that one place in the forest up in Montana in the stone circle of whiteness. And they created a system with the express purpose of marginalizing people of color, the differently abled, the non-binary, yada, yada, and to a lesser extent, white women are guilty too. That's right, not so fast, progressive Karen. You're not off the hook. And actually, white gays, white Hispanics, I'm not making that up. And anybody said to be, quote, white passing or benefiting from proximity to whiteness, they are all guilty of enforcing the oppression, the parasitic disease known as quote-unquote, whiteness. This is the worldview of the DEI guru you'll be working with, which would explain why, if you're white, you're like, "Mm, why does all this seem pointed at me, all this DEI stuff? Hello, wake up. It is pointed at you. It is, okay? Um, So the DEI folks, they don't tell you any of this, of course. They don't tell you that they're versed in a very specific neo-Marxist-inspired worldview, but you should know it. We should know it. And so when they came to my place of work, they didn't tell me and they won't tell you. They don't tell you their political orientation or that they hate Republicans. They do. Conservatives, Christians, Orthodox Jews, and Muslims, and anyone who simply likes America or voted for Donald Trump, or anyone who simply dissents from their conspiratorial, racist, anti-white worldview, because they are there to institute a program that flips the script and marginalizes, yes, heteronormative, cis, white males, but also anyone who doesn't become an ally to their program. These DEI gurus don't tell you that all of them are radically progressive leftists who all vote Democrat down the line and are straight off the university indoctrination conveyor belt. And they will present DEI not as theory about race and gender, but as unassailable fact. And you will embrace their facts, quote unquote, or be called an ist or a phobe. And you know that. That's why you stay silent, right? You can feel that, which ensures that this diabolical mind virus will continue spreading until it destroys the very system that has created the wealth and prosperity of America and which supports you and your family. See, you won't escape ultimately if you don't push back. But I digress. I've said that over and over. I know uh, people are afraid, but there has to be pushback. 
Now, how will this DEI stuff show up in your school or corporation? Well, they tend to get in the door two consistent ways. One, somebody makes some specious claim about racism, a couple of reports, maybe a he said, she said, microaggression on a Zoom call, followed by some concerned Karen or some concerned uh, parent or somebody complaining to the school administration or C-suite in your company about how unsafe it is inside that there building. And then we're off to the races. Here comes the DEI guru or uh, consultant or program or the staff to rescue uh, the company or the school and be there to eliminate all racism. But in actuality, they will install a real-life system of racism and institutionalize and legitimize it as practice, or as the neo-Marxists like to say, as praxis. Praxis, just as an aside, is just the putting of critical theory ideas into action. You see, practical application of these neo-Marxist ideas is the key. You know, as the foremost critic of race Marxism, James Lindsay, who wrote a book on the same exact issue by the same title, pointed out, neo-Marxist critical theories... Uh, Praxis is the whole point. In other words, just having some academic knowledge of these neo-Marxist theories is worthless in regards to radically changing America, which is the goal. You need those ideas to be put into practice. They call that praxis. Or it's a waste of time. You must do the work, as the woke say. And you'll hear your DEI consultant say that. You must do the work. It's important that it gets put into practice. And the irony is that critical theory right? Critical theories, critical race theory, all the many forms of critical theory comes in. We're well past theory. We're fully down the road of praxis or putting it into practice in America right now. DEI is the critical, uh, is critical race theory, in other words, and critical gender theory and critical whiteness theory all rolled into one. And it's being implied, applied in real time to your school and your corporation right now. You're living in a neo-Marxist critical theory world. Because it's being practiced everywhere around you. They just call it diversity, equity, and inclusion because it sounds so nice and loving. But it's just institutionalized, divisive hatred, retribution, and discrimination, albeit with new targets. But I digress. The second way in, okay, after that little aside, for the DEI consultancy to enter your institution, be it a school or corporation or city council or whatever, drum roll please, They will look at your company or whatever and say the representation is not quote-unquote equitable. Just like what happened to the NHL. This just happened a couple days ago. Suddenly they seem to have a diversity uh, spokesman of some kind and she's got a problem with the NFL already because it's not perfectly equitable. Never mind, many people of color aren't interested in watching white men with mullets skate in circles chasing a tiny disc. I jest, but I'm getting to a point here. Uh, Equity, uh, the DEI guru will insist, means being perfectly equitable in terms of representation. Never mind that perfectly proportional representation of race, gender, and pronoun people has never been an American value till five minutes ago. Instead, representation, right, in your company or anywhere is typically based on merit and hard work, and those have been our American values, which means things don't always stack up perfectly equitable. Just take a look at the Lakers. There's no geriatric white boys like me playing on the starting five, and lucky for the Lakers because they'd lose and bad because I can't even dribble anymore. In any case, any sign of a lack of perfectly diverse representation will instantly be said to be evidence of racism, and nothing scares white people more 
than the charge of racist being thrown at them. So in comes the DEI consultancy at that point. So that's how the DEI folks and its ideologies get in your building typically. Uh, or maybe your corporation, uh, if you're a Fortune 500 company, is part of ESG, which is a whole nother subject we could talk about, environmental, social governance, and you'll be graded by your level of DEI adoption because it's being forced from the top down. In any case, now on to telling you, uh, since we talked about how it gets in the building, uh, how uh, my personal experience with DEI went once it was in the door, right? Once it gets in the door, and I'm guessing thematically it will sound familiar to you. And that's kind of why I'm sharing it today, because the neo-Marxist apple does not fall far from the oppression tree. So after one of these triggers, right, a racial incident, uh, or maybe a lack of equitable representation, perfectly proportional, uh, which is never quite defined, right, What what is the perfect equitable representation? That'll never be defined. But It'll bring the DEI uh, consultancy, agency, guru into your building, and they will entice you into a very uncomfortable, totally inappropriate, politicized, gaslighting conversation about race. And if you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about. See, it's not like your conversation with your DEI guru slash instructor is like this. Your DEI facilitator says something. I say something. You say something. We all share. We can all agree to disagree sometimes. No, 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 no. That's why I titled this podcast Coercive Conversations, because coercion, shaming, and bullying is actually what's going on in this race and gender slash LGBTQ conversation you're about to have. You're going to be fully gaslit. Uh, This is a singular enforced perspective on race and gender in which you will be compelled to adopt the critical race theory POV about race or the critical gender theory POV about gender. Uh, via your school or corporation, and that will be enforced usually by a combination of higher-ups in the institution like C-suite folks uh, and in the schools, members of the school board, school board president, DEI councils that are installed, heads of diversity and DEI administrators, which are now a new administrative branch inside of most companies and schools. That's what's going to happen, right? This It's going to get installed inside. And this is to ensure that not only you agree with what they're going to tell you, their perspective they're going to force down your throat on all these things, but also act on the DEI worldview regarding race relations and gender relations, which is to say that you must achieve racial equity in your institution, i.e. equal outcomes, equal representation according to race and gender on every level because any inequity or disproportionate representation of race, again, will be said to be proof of racism slash sexism. End of subject. And the point here is when the DEI instructors come in, These are not conversations at all. That's what I'm getting back to again. It's a very cynical, controlled struggle session designed to shame and bully you into silence as you accept a racialized, censorious, and authoritarian new world and system they are introducing into your institution. So with all of that, I know that was a lot in setup and we've already talked for a little while, but I think it is important to talk about how it gets in and what the sort of frame and the mental state of your DEI initiative is and sort of the worldview that it has. Here was my day with my DEI consultancy, and I'm going to try to give you just the highlights. You guys have heard some of it in some of the other podcasts, uh, but I just want you guys uh, to hear what I remember from the day that I went through it a couple years ago. This is my lived experience, as the DEI people like to talk about. Uh, and 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 I've told, again, parts of it on other podcasts, but here's kind of a highlight of what I went through that day. So to start, I'll never forget that when I walked in to the building that day, 
Um, I didn't know anything really other than this consultancy was coming, DEI consultancy. Um, but I knew we were going to be talking about some of this stuff. And I remember catching the gaze of the leader of this consultancy in the hall. Uh, and he's a pretty well-known person. And he probably doesn't remember, but I remember. And I remember feeling the gaze was longer than normal. <laughs> it just felt like he was locking on to me somehow. Now, maybe it's because I fit all the criteria for being an oppressor in the DEI guru's mind, which I now have a keen understanding is their orientation and bias. Uh, I happen to be white, heteronormative, married, fairly high up in the system. He would probably have known that because I was a leader, I suppose. And I'm toxically male, of course, presumably. So I'm the problem by virtue of my immutable external characteristics. Everything was handed to me after all. I'm white. I just have a bunch of privilege. So who knows? It was just this weird moment, though, like of like locking eyes. I should have known what was coming next. So the first thing I remember in this DEI day, I'm not kidding. This is what happened. A map was put up on the wall of the Western Hemisphere, and it was pre-Columbus with a date of like 14-something or 15-something, but it was before Columbus. And my instructor, essentially, DEI instructor, said, this is the continent, uh, North America, pre-racism. So what he was saying was, is there was no racism on the continent uh, until uh, Europeans came, essentially. So we were already doing history in the first, like, five seconds of this DEI session, I thought we were going to be doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I thought was about, I don't know, like helping race relations. But instead, the first thing is there's no racism in the Western Hemisphere until Europeans come. And so I just, I, I had to stop them right there because it's like already we're we're lying. And we haven't even gotten five seconds into this. <laughs> I raised my hand and I tried to ask in a very like, you know, not give away the fact that I am very suspicious of this entire exercise. But I raised my hand and I just said, so you're saying that of all the indigenous people here in America, there was never any racism between any tribes of of indigenous peoples? I mean, and of course, we all know, I mean, racism is the oldest thing in the world. And there's racism that goes every direction all throughout history. Uh, And I'm sorry, I disagree with the neo-Marxists who say that race is always, racism is always uh, power uh, plus racism. Uh, racism can be, any of us can be guilty of racism, right? No matter what our station in life is, we can, because all we have to do to be racist is just make assumptions about people by looking at their skin color. So racism is as old as man. Uh, Slavery is as old as man. Uh, It still goes on to this day. Racism is a heart problem and anyone is capable of being racism or a racist, which is why it still happens. But Yet here this map is put up and he says basically that it's white people, it's uh, Europeans that brought racism to the Western Hemisphere. And like you can make a lot of arguments that white people brought a lot of things like disease and a worldview. All that's true. Um, and you can talk about the unfairness of it all. All that is true. Um, but I think to, to argue that there was no racism in the Western Hemisphere, essentially, until white people came. It's just ridiculous because racism is a feature of human existence. So the instructor, you know, kind of says, stay with me when I say that, you know. He, he was very smooth. He, he, remember he said, don't take an exit. Don't take an exit. And I'm like, wow, this guy's a smooth character. He's like Montel Williams. 
but anyway, we're just an hour in to this thing, and the racial scapegoating is happening right out of the gate. Europeans are the ones who brought racism to the new world. Everyone is just nodding along to this stuff, by the way, in the room. It's just, it was all the leadership, and it was like, wow, everybody's just kind of nodding along. I don't know if they're deer in the headlights, but I'm the only one raising my hand at this point. And so not long after this, we were shown a famous painting of George Washington, if you know that one, where he's crossing the Delaware, looking all uh, noble. And the note here from my instructor, what we were supposed to notice in this picture was how noble and heroic the Europeans represent themselves. Uh, In other words, this is a painting by Europeans of Europeans. Uh, Look how noble and heroic they tend to try to portray themselves. And of course, here he was laying the groundwork for his DEI worldview, which is about oppression, uh, And as I keep saying. So he wanted us to see that white European, Europeans see themselves as noble and heroic, yet in fact they are evil and brought racism to America, because that's what he told us just before. And I, here again, I didn't challenge this, but I was just thinking, like, what people or nation doesn't see themselves as noble? Did the Egyptians make their pharaohs look pathetic in their drawings? were their monuments done to show the pathetic empire they were? Or was the Sphinx carved to show the nobility and grandiose nature of the Egyptian empire? And my only point is this. All nations and cultures celebrate and lionize their own culture, or they'll lose their culture, which might explain what is happening to America as we speak. As DEI consultancies teach us daily that our system, and indeed we the people, are incorrigibly racist, At that point, my DEI guru attempted to bridge his case for how racist and white supremacist America is to our very, you know, corporate life that we were in by bringing up Ronald Reagan uh, and how he prosecuted the war on drugs, which disproportionately affected black Americans. He then jumped from there to saying that Ronald Reagan was helped in his election bid or by an ad agency that happened to be the oldest ad agency in America. And I've tried to confirm all this and I, I can't, but this is what we were presented uh, and so the note here was essentially that uh, you should walk away with is that DEI gurus aren't big on facts or correlations. So there was a little sleight of hand going on here, which was uh, basically my DEI instructor was implying that the war on drugs was racist uh, because it disproportionately affected black people and Ronald Reagan spearheaded it, uh, which means by association that Ronald Reagan is racist, which by default means his uh, old ad agency that helped get him elected was also racist. And so the message there, because we were an ad agency, I think from our DEI instructor, was that white Europeans basically made the continent racist. Uh, they lightened, lionized themselves uh, and, and, and uh, as a white race uh, and how they depicted themselves. Their systemically racist policies informed everything, including even you ad folks and your advertising business via that Ronald Reagan example. And in fact, the implication here was that the first ad agency was a bunch of racists uh, that helped Ronald Reagan prosecute the war on drugs, which again, disproportionately incarcerated blacks. Uh, And so this is how we kicked off my DEI day. Uh, And and here, obviously, uh, our DEI shaman slash guru is trying to implicate our nation, our industry, and indeed us as the very core of the problem. And that makes sense because everything he would tell us that day, essentially, it was right out of the 1619 Project playbook. Uh, And if you don't know about the 1619 Project, go on to the New York Times and read about the 1619 Project. It's essentially a big case for socialism. Uh, that is made on the back of saying America is basically an evil slave nation that was founded in slavery in 1619. Uh, it was discredited as a, as a piece of history, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, but 
that's basically what the spiel the guy was giving us. And I think he needed to establish that up front. Uh, but it was presented as fact, right? There was no nuance or pushback allowed. It was history, according to my DEI instructor. And I know similar things are said in other DEI courses across America because DEI folks hate this country system. And plus, they're trying to institute a policy uh, and they need to build that on top of uh, a, a, a view of history and a view of America that, you know, sort of makes it the required policy that this is the this is the proper adjustment we need to make given how horrible America is. This is what was insinuated, and we haven't even at that point gotten to the meat of what I thought we were there to talk about that day. Uh, I thought we were there to talk about DEI. Uh, and it, it is just worth pausing here for a second. This opening to my particular DEI session alone was mostly a history lesson of America, very much, again, from the 1619 uh, Project POV. And I only mention this because DEI is brought in under the guise of some practical consultancy work that will help race relations. And yet it turned very anti-American, very anti-European, and very anti-white very quickly, in my case at least. And next, it was about to turn very political because my DEI instructor had this habit of constantly insisting at every turn that only Democrats have this racism problem figured out. And Republicans are evil, starting with Ronald Reagan. And so politics was the center of the message all day, specifically left-wing politics and Democrat politics, Democratic politics, and the Democrat Party, uh, Democratic Party being uh, the party he clearly felt had the right take on uh, race and racism in America. And again, this was all under the guise of DEI. I mean, how are we talking about all this in a corporation whose job was to make advertising? And I only mention all this because if you're trying to be inclusive, why bring politics into it? Well, the answer is because DEI is political in nature. It is politicized purposely so. So some other political moments of note, my instructor also mentioned that Michelle and Barack Obama tried to teach us about race, but we wouldn't listen, he said, as Americans. And I'm thinking just because Americans don't agree with the perspective of the president at the time, Barack Obama, on race, doesn't mean they didn't listen. But again, I've, I also learned that listening, quote-unquote, with your DEI instructor means agreeing. Do you find that true in your DEI coursework? Like, is it a conversation at all or a top-down imposition of a new ideology in which they groom you to accept it through a DEI course, but it's not really up for discussion? It, it's more like a coer- coercive conversation. That's why I titled the podcast that. Now, quick aside, I had a good friend in a Fortune 500 company tell me that his manager said after his DEI course uh, that he specifically won't promote white men. He said this out loud, which is against the law, of course. And the C-suite folks, when my friend complained, told him to just forget about it. Because DEI isn't a discussion, I keep saying. It's a one-way rigged monologue designed to shame, silence, and bully people into submission. So my DEI guru goes on at that point, uh, just to get back to the story, to quote from a female Latina justice named Sotomayor Sotomayor on the Supreme Court. uh, And just quotes a quote from her that supports his DEI's uh, left-wing critical race theory view on race. And I don't remember the quote, but Sotomayor is obviously far left, and so was my DEI instructor, of course, because they all are. Uh, and, and so he never balanced anything, uh, you know, with any other perspective. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, right next to her is Tom, you know, Clarence Thomas, a black man that grew up in the Jim Crow South. I'm thinking, have you ever wanted to know what he thinks about race? I'm just 
curious. You quote Sotomayor, and of course, I can't resist raising my hand, and I do. And I said, you keep talking about Democrats' point of view on things. I said, do, do, do Republicans have anything noble to contribute to this conversation on race? Because Clarence Thomas uh, is sitting on this same Supreme Court. He's a justice on the Supreme Court. Well, what does he think about uh, these issues about race? What's his perspective? And to which my DEI guru answered, I don't know what he thinks. And I told the story before, but I'm just telling it again. And so I, I looked it up right after the meeting. Here's what I found immediately. It just took a Google search. It's not hard. Here's what Clarence Thomas thinks about race in America. Um, I have never understood the notion that we could continue to focus on race in order to get over race. Um, I've never understood that, that we have to continue to identify us and, you know, the, to, to be race conscious in order not to be race conscious. I think that's attributed something from Justice Blackman. And I, I just don't, I, I was in the seminary, as I note in my memoirs. I was the only black kid in my seminary in Savannah in 1965 to 67, and one of two in 1964 to 65. So you could see the world hadn't changed in Savannah at that time. And what I found in getting along with the white classmates is to look at them not as white kids or as different, but as kids. To look at people as human beings and treat them as human beings. They're good ones, they're bad ones, they're tall, they're short. There's some, there's some less flawed, some who are flawed, some less flawed. I don't know. But in the end, they're all human beings. And that's a lesson that I learned. To be treated, to be treated as a human being, you have to treat others that way. And one thing that sort of um, interfered with that was the constant uh, effort of putting each other into boxes that I can look at you and I can put you in a box and now I can figure out everything I need to know about you. You're a white male, therefore. You're a female, therefore. You're black, therefore. Um, that's kind of a lazy way to do things. It probably saves a lot of time. <laughs> but I found that people are people and you've got to give them the same break that you want as an individual. So in any case, uh, it took me two seconds to find that Clarence Thomas answer. And it just, again, shows the DEI guru I was dealing with, instructor, didn't want to talk about Clarence Thomas because Thomas would fundamentally disagree with the entire project known as DEI, which is all about racial obsession and putting people in boxes. Clarence Thomas's views are an anathema to DEI. My instructor knew that, but just lied and said, I don't know what he thinks. Because like the whole day that I went through, DEI consultancies are there to gaslight and bully people into a worldview. Again, it is a coercive conversation. So finally, at one point, not long after, my boss challenged our DEI instructor. It was funny because he, I don't even think my boss was politically on, uh, he's not conservative, he's kind of not, uh, he wasn't far left or anything. But he just finally stopped, I think, the DEI instructor because he felt like it was obviously um, politicized and just said, why does this have to be political? Like, why can't we leave politics out? 
to which the DEI instructor said, you cannot leave politics out. It, it is political. And at this point, he was getting very bugged, our DEI instructor, because I think I asked one too many questions, and so did my boss. Uh, and then I remember my boss saying something to the effect of, you know, we're all just part of one race, the human race, to which the DEI instructor disagreed. He said, think, and, and think about that. We are not all part of the human race. He, he was very, he did not like that common, uh, comment from my boss. Uh, he was not interested in highlighting our common humanity. He was interested in politics and division because that's what DEI is about, power and division. So race uh, and, and heightening racial differences, affinity groups, uh, talking about what makes us different versus what, uh, what we have in common, that is what the DEI instructor was there to sow into our culture uh, that's why I didn't want to hear that we're all part of the human race. Did not like that comment. Okay, so moving on. A few more anecdotes from my DEI crash course day. Uh, next, we did an exercise. And this probably be different from some people, but I was in the ad industry. Uh, and, and we were shown ads, and the impl- implication was that there was racism inside these ads. And so it was a series of ads, and we were supposed to look for the racism. Uh, and, and, and when we looked at some of these ads, or he showed them to us, so we were going to do the exercise in a little bit. Sorry, I'll get to that in a second. So we were shown some ads and they were racist and some were very obviously racist. Uh, and, and some though you would look at and you'd be like, what am I supposed to be noticing here? And then the instructor, the DEI instructor would give you some tortured rationale for why this or that ad was indeed racist. Uh, and he would talk about the fact that it, it doesn't even have to be consciously racist. It could be unconsciously racist, Right. And he wanted us basically to know that racism is everywhere and always present because to the DEI instructor who is peddling critical race theory, racism is the ordinary state of affairs in America and it is present in every interaction. Again, I'm just pointing out this is the worldview they have. You just need to know that. So it's at this point, again, because I'm dumb, I raise my hand uh, and I, I, I just wanted to know because he was talking about unconscious bias and I'm thinking unconscious bias is very interesting. I like, I believe that's true. Like, I think we can be unconsciously biased for sure. Uh, and not realize that our biases are playing a, a role in how we approach things in life and approach people. So I think there's something to unconscious bias, but he was saying there's no difference if racism is intended or unintended and i.e. unconscious bias. Uh, it, intent doesn't matter. And I, I just, again, I had to raise my hand, again, because I'm dumb, and say, really, there's, it doesn't matter intent? Like, there's one thing if you make an ad and you consciously want to be a racist and you want it to be racist, the content to be racist. It's another thing if you make a mistake. And I said, isn't, isn't there, a di- there a difference between conscious and unconscious racism? And he says, it doesn't make a difference. That's what he said. doesn't matter to me. It's the same thing. And I remember thinking, wow, so this is like a major upturning of an American value because intent matters in America, right? And a great example would be if you accidentally strike a bystander with your car and you kill them, you, it's called manslaughter. But if you intended to strike the pedestrian with your car and uh, you wanted to kill them, it's murder. Intent matters. But in the neo-Marxist critical race theory worldview, intent doesn't matter. Both uh, conscious bias or conscious racism, an unconscious bias or racism, uh, no distinction will be made between the two, which again, this is a big deal to say that intent doesn't matter. And if it doesn't matter, 
it's actually quite scary, the world we're creating, where someone's motivation is not a factor in how we judge an action or, let's say, a mistake in regards to race and racism. And I can speak to that because it happened to me, uh, and I can tell you what my... uh, my uh, uh, intentions were, but it doesn't matter. If the thing that you did is perceived as racist, you're, you're one step from being canceled or destroyed. And it doesn't matter if it was conscious or unconscious, uh, intended or misunderstood. It's just, I just think it's really bad. Uh, this is a bad precedent. Okay, next, this is when we were put in that group exercise and we were asked to review a bunch of ads and discover what was racist about them. And of course, this exercise had the effect, and this is what I'll never forget, of turning us all into the thought police. The funny thing was, I was put in this random group, uh, kind of an assemblage of conservatives at our agency somehow. There were a few, like five in the whole agency, but uh, out of like 300 people. But they were all in my group, uh, and we just ended up getting grouped together. And I remember watching these ads together, and we were just turned into the thought police. We were seeing racism everywhere because we were asked to focus on rest, race, to foreground race, to center race to the exclusion of all else in our analysis of these ads. So we were seeing uh, racism in every ad that we were shown, and, and we were, frankly, just making it up. Uh, we were just starting to make it up because that's what we thought we were supposed to do. And, and by the way, again, just a worth pointing this out. This is what DEI does. It hypersensitizes everyone to see race and racism in every interaction and word that is spoken, right? To get your antenna raised and get you ready to be offended and offended for other people even. After all, you can never demonstrate your own purity enough in the new world of DEI virtue signaling. So you even get offended for other people. You see race and racism and everything and you're ready to let everybody know that you see it and everything. So we were seeing racism in every ad we were shown. And here we were a bunch of older conservatives. So I guess I point that out just to say that that wasn't our natural orientation. But that's the mind virus that was already working on us. So when the instructor, DEI instructor, asked us what we had found in our ads, and the whole room was doing this, by the way, a bunch of groups were doing this, uh, we were pretty much wrong in all of our findings. Uh, We were finding racism where it didn't even exist. Uh, Now, there were about five to ten other groups in the room doing the same thing, uh, all thought policing and interrogating all this random advertising, vetting it for racism. And, well, one group got it right. They managed to pick the thing that the instructor wanted them to see. And what were we supposed to notice uh, in all these ads? Well, it turns out all the campaigns had the, a tagline with the word matters in them. I kid you not. This is what, what the big takeaway was. Now, if you're still confused, you can be forgiven. I certainly was confused at that point. But apparently one group figured out that matters was in the tagline of all these campaigns. And guess what? The point was Black Lives Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter owns the word matters, we were told by the instructor, the DEI instructor. And no brand should dare touch the word, quote-unquote, matters. Black lives matter. Uh, You can't use the word matter, I guess. And all these brands had used it. And I remember thinking, my goodness, we are in trouble if this is what is coming into the building. I'm thinking about how how is it going to be to create work if someone can tell us it's racist to use the word matter in a tagline, Right. No one can have matter in their tagline because those trained Marxists over at BLM don't want you to use their precious word. And this is what we were being told in this thing. And here's the funny thing. Again, everyone was just like a deer in the headlights, just nodding along with this pablum 
a bunch of scared white progressives uh, and white people, all too afraid to even ask questions about this insanity that was being told to us. And this was all presented as fact. Uh, of course, you shouldn't use the word matter anymore. This was uh, just given to us as fact. And this was pre-George Floyd. Uh, and so at this point, we never even got to the whole enchilada of the DEI program that day because I actually flipped ahead in the handout, and of course there was all the terms, white privilege, white fragility, a white privilege exercise I found out happened later, and luckily time ran out that day, and I didn't have to sit in the coercive conversation anymore and be gaslit. But before it was over, yours truly couldn't stay quiet, and so I raised my hand once again, uh, and I think it's worth sharing uh, this, because right before me, one of our HR people asked a question as well. She happened to be conservative. And, and basically just said, you know, uh, after a day of this, I, I, I'm just kind of looking to know what can I do practically to help uh, people of color in the company, which is a completely innocent and nice question. What is the practical to-do list from everything you're telling us? Um, which, of course, is such a white way of thinking. I just, I just. But she just wanted to know what is the practical to-do list? What are we supposed to walk away with this? And our HR person uh, sort of asked this question, uh, how can I help people of color succeed? And, and again, it was a super genuine question. And this particular DEI guru slash instructor said that you just have to accept non-closure. I mean, in other words, he had nothing to offer her. I mean, it was, there was nothing of substance. Uh, basically, his answer was, you ought to feel uh, terrible and horrible about race relations, and especially if you're white. Uh, but there was no practical recommendation at the end of this day, no action steps. And I'll come back to this in a second. But that's when I raised my hand and I said, you know, look, I'm, I'm conservative and a Christian. And I feel like this is all kind of political, like, like no conservative or Christian can even take part in this because, uh, you know, the instructor had said earlier that it was political and that the only good take on all this was a, the Democratic Party's take on this, which aligns with DEI which is race obsessed. And I just said, I want to be helpful, like the HR person that just raised their hand in a practical way. Uh, And again, he said nothing really of substance back. He just said that uh, he hoped I would not take an exit, quote unquote. This dude was so smooth. But his whole point was there's going to be more of these, the coursework in the next couple of days. And he didn't want me to take an exit uh, because my question, I guess, indicated to him that I was mentally exiting. But I was just, trying to point out, like, what do you want me to do with all this besides feel terrible? Um, Now, here's the implied solution, of course. The practical expectation uh, that your DEI advisor, guru, instructor, head of diversity won't ever say out loud because it would be a violation of the law. The practical implication, uh, they fully expect you to discriminate in hiring, firing, and promoting, and you will be accountable to do so. That is the, the sort of practical walk away, but nobody will say that practical takeaway and expectation, uh, but it's implied because it's illegal to say that out loud. So I think that's what obviously this instructor wanted to say to us, but couldn't say that. Uh, because if, if it's not that, if it's not to actually discriminate in hiring, firing, and promoting, uh, you know, if it's not to in, to act on all the things you're telling us. You're saying basically this is a super unjust country, unjust system uh, that privileges white people and oppresses black people and people of color. And uh, if, 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 what are we supposed to do with that? If, if we're not supposed to then discriminate 
which of course is what they're going to ask you to do. That's the end game of the DEI program. Uh, now, I should also point out one other thing that might happen in your DEI program. Uh, they removed all black people in our company from the room. I think this is, an, this is a common practice, affinity groups. Uh, but often these sessions will be done uh, with people uh, in different rooms. Uh, but immediately this increases division and divisiveness because you're not even with people of color oftentimes. And then they're getting their own special coursework and you're getting your special coursework. Uh, and from the consultant, let's say. And it's like you can tell both groups are, be, are being given this oppressor-oppression lens on work life and life in America in general, uh, depending on whether they're a person of color or a white person, they're getting a different story. Uh, if it's white, you'll be told you're an oppressor. Uh, and if you're a person of color, uh, you'll be told you're being oppressed. And now I just would say after that's over, like, what are you, how are you supposed to work together well? I mean, like if I'm somebody's oppressor and we're like, that's my partner in this job or part of a team, if that black person next to me is being oppressed by me just by my existence, like how are we supposed to work for, you know, with, with each other? Um, and it just ups the fear, the sense of walking on eggshells. It ups the resentment between people and the animosity between groups, in my opinion. And so... The final thing I just think it's worth pointing out is our instructor, before he left, you know, I think he was getting frustrated with us because maybe we asked too many questions. And at this point, he did get frustrated. And he finally just said something to the effect of, you know, black people are just very, very angry and frustrated. And you white people, we're just going to leave the room, he said, and you just need to work it out. You guys just need to work it out. And so, again, the implication here was, my perspective is the only perspective. Uh, we're just going to exit the room now, and you're just going to have to work it out. So why am I telling this story? Because, uh, one, it might ring familiar. I'm sure it does, some of the aspects of it, at least thematically. Uh, and, but I also wanted to share all this today because we have to understand how and why DEI enters an institution, how it will behave once it's inside the building, uh, what DEI instructors and heads of diversity are actually up to. They may smile and seem so nice, but they don't enter into the conversation without, without their own very distinct neo-Marxist lens or bias, uh, as well as a rigged outcome they intend to achieve. They are not looking to increase raci racial harmony or heal, racial, uh, help with racial reconciliation. Um, and they're not looking to help people succeed, I don't think which is what most people really want. DEI consultancies and administrators are there to enforce a program that will indoctrinate and ultimately seize power inside of an institution. They come with a specific worldview and they expect full compliance from you. DEI won't be a true conversation at all, which would mean a give and take. It's a one-way neo-Marxist monologue from them to you. It's pure sophistry meant to guilt and gaslight you into giving up power and turning it over to an administrative DEI group of people who then allocate resources and benefits according to race and gender. That's the predetermined outcome that will be achieved by DEI. To install a neo-Marxist critical theory worldview in your company or school, and you just need to know that. And there's no good DEI program unless you're into discrimination and racial scapegoating. All DEI programs are just poisonous apples that fall from the same poisonous tree. 
as long as DEI goes seriously unchallenged, and it really shouldn't because we have the law on our side, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, right? You can't discriminate based on race or gender or religious uh, point of view, uh, really p- political point of view should be added to that. It was a mistake that it wasn't. I don't think people foresaw how uh, much politics were going to come to poison everything in America. But as long as DEI continues to spread, the closer we are to an America you soon will not recognize, where capricious factors like skin color and gender determine who gets what and how much and when, rather than merit, hard work, and excellence, the values that built your business, your schools, your institutions, and indeed America itself. Jesus said this about false prophets, and I bring up Christ because I'm a Christian, and I just think he has so much wisdom, obviously. That's why I follow Christ. Um, But he said this about false prophets, and I think that's what DEI gurus are, right? So I think it applies. He said this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is you can know the fruit of an ideology or of a person just by the, by the, by the fruit uh, that ideology or person produces. And so I would just ask you, what is the fruit of your DEI program? Is harmony increasing between groups of people, people groups, and is race relations getting better, or is divisiveness increasing? Is DEI really a conversation in your experience, a true exchange of ideas about race and gender, or a one-way monologue filled with bitterness, retribution, and division? How is your business and your team doing since you've imbibed DEI? I'd love to know, and if you want to reach out to me and let me know on the side, I would love to hear from you. Uh, But just a more general question. As this country obsesses on racial and gender issues, does racial harmony seem to be increasing? I mean, what do you think? Is DEI producing the fruit it claims it does, diversity, inclusion, and equity? Or is it eliminating diversity of thought? Is it exclusionary to people of faith or punitive to white people? Is it just installing an illegal system of discrimination, the very thing that it says that it's there to fix, systemic racism? Is it working for America? Are we healing by centering race in everything and every discussion constantly? Or is it introducing coercive and divisive conversations about race into companies, schools, our politics, and indeed all of American life? Doesn't it seem to you that racial tensions are on the rise? It seems clear to me racial tensions are on the rise in America. That's because diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, is a program designed to awaken society's critical conscience, to see oppression in the form of racism everywhere, to not see your fellow Americans as American, but as a member of a group, a group determined by skin color or someone with whose, quote, lived experience you can't really identify with, someone who with or without knowing them, you can assign into a box labeled oppressor or oppressed. The fruit of my DEI experience left our organization with no closure. And believe it or not, that was what was promised to us by the DEI instructor. He told us we should get comfortable with no closure. 
How convenient for him. No action steps, just angry people and more divided uh, company after he walked away. That's because it's a coercive conversation and you enter into that conversation as an institution at your peril because that DEI conversation isn't a conversation at all. It's a neo-Marxist program that has a predetermined outcome to divide and conquer your institution. And if we let it, America. I'm Brett Craig. Until next time, remember you're not crazy, they are.